Good morning, everybody. Well, it's pretty obvious this morning we're going to speak from this very famous passage on the topic of love. When you think about love, you have a lot of subject matter to deal with. I think culturally about love, and I tried to come up with a, a good starter for us this morning. There's so many love stories. Where to begin? West Side Story, Pride and Prejudice. So many epic love stories to get us rolling here this morning. From the great literary works of the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th century, I selected perhaps the finest of all, The Princess Bride. The title of my sermon this morning is True Love. Can we learn any wisdom from The Princess Bride, this wonderful movie about true love? The character Billy Crystal, Miracle Max, says, Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. A little bit later in the story, I didn't know the character's name. Maybe I didn't forgotten, but you know where I'm going here. The character's name is the impressive clergyman who says marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream, am I doing it right? Within a dream and love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your love. And you know, if I can move from glibness to serious a little bit, that love dominates in the conversation. Love dominates so much of what goes on in American culture today. <clears throat> I could move from literary works to the musical genre, and I bet you could help me with this quiz. If loving you is wrong, oh, you're so smart. All you need is love. John Lennon, smart man. You've lost that love. And how do you know this? I, I, we didn't rehearse. I just called to say, I love you. Can you feel the love tonight and this crazy little thing called love? Well done. Elvis said it, I can't help falling in love with you. And we celebrate all of these songs, but I have one that maybe transitions us to the text here that's a little bit newer than most of these, your final test this morning. You give love a bad name. I, forget who, I think that's Bon Jovi. And that's our transition. You know, 1 Corinthians, my text this morning, is simply verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Where do you normally hear this, friends? You normally hear this, this very, very famous passage of Scripture at a wedding. And yet this is not a love poem. This is part of a rebuke. 
and instruction to the Corinthians. Verses 1-3 through spoke of eloquence, ministry, sacrifice, wonderful things. If I could speak with these great eloquent tongues, if I had these ministry methods, if I had the ability to sacrifice. But Paul says giftedness is not superior to maturity. Paul wants to show these Corinthians the best way. I want to show you a more excellent way. What is that? It's the way of love. Love translates in our English Bibles here from the Greek word agape. Many of you know that the Greek language had multiple words for love. Eros, the more uh, erotic love, the passionate love. Phileo, we, get, we have our city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, more of a familial love. And then agape, love attributed to God. One definition I read this week in my study was for agape, the quality of warm regard and interest in another. Synonyms would be esteem, affection, regard, love, sacrifice, giving. A Bible teacher I used to listen to would define this word simply as you before me. Paul began last week with three illustrations of how excellent giftedness without love equal nothing. He said, I'm a noisy gong. I am nothing I gain nothing. Then today he wants to describe this essential love for us. And next week he will compare this love to other gifts. Love's not a spiritual gift. It's essential for using spiritual gifts. It's more important than spiritual gifts. If I had a main thought for you today, I think it would be this spiritual maturity and or love is more important than spiritual gifts. It's important to understand chapter 13 in the context. The passage is one of Paul's most well-known, especially here as we've read verses 4 through 7. If you only looked at Paul's words in chapter 13, you might think this passage primarily applies to marriage, an intimate relationship that requires love for it to thrive and succeed. Many people have chosen to have this passage read during wedding ceremonies. A lot of people think this passage is primarily referring to love between a husband and wife. Now, while it can indirectly apply to a marriage relationship, and it certainly is in and of itself a wonderful description of love, it applies most directly to the issues that we are talking about in chapters 12 through 14, spiritual gifts. In fact, I would suggest to you that when the Corinthians first heard these words, they would not have thought, Oh, how sweet. What beautiful, inspiring words. No young lady would have come up after the initial reading was done and come to the reader of Paul's letter and say, excuse me, excuse me, somewhere near the middle of that section where he was yelling at us, there was this beautiful description of love and I'm getting married next week. Do you mind if I get just that little portion so that I could read it? No. They knew what was happening here, as we have heard, and we understand, and we have felt the weight. They would have received Paul's words as a verbal spanking. Ouch! Paul, Paul hoped they would pray like this. God, forgive us. We are unloving. 
God, forgive us for being so unloving. God, the way we are acting is ugly in contrast to the beautiful way of love. For example, the Corinthians were abusing the gift of tongues. They were wrongly elevating it as more important than other gifts. They weren't using this to edify other people. So leading up to this text, Paul had argued in chapter 12 that we are various gifts in one body, and the body of Christ is so important, and it's foolish to elevate one gift over another. And in the following passage, Paul will teach in chapter 14 that prophesying is greater than speaking in tongues because it's loving to the whole church. It edifies the whole church. The best gifts edify and love one another. And so here today, in between those two passages, Paul shares with us in chapter 13 that no matter what gift the Spirit gives someone to use, no matter what gift the Spirit enables you to use, that gift does not benefit you or us unless it is used in love. Love is indispensable for using spiritual gifts. Whether the Spirit were to empower someone to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to teach, whatever the Spirit wanted to do, without love, you are a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. You are nothing, and you gain nothing. Do you feel the weight of it in context? So strong. Paul said, I will show you a more excellent way. That book ends at the end of the passage that Pastor Brian will share next week when he says, the greatest of these is love. That helps us book in those passages. If we were to really want to understand 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, we would not break in our reading of chapter 12 through 14. One paragraph. Well, we need love. But you can't just get it. The Beatles were right. You can't buy me love. I may sprinkle songs at you all morning. It's easy, fun, and not hard. Love's not an object we can buy. Do you understand that to have love is to behave in a loving way? And now we move into our text. Paul personifies love. You know what personification is? It's when you take something that is not a person and begin to describe it in human ways. We do that with God when we say He inclines our ear, His ear towards us. God has no literal ears. He's not a body. He's a spirit. But we personify Him and it helps us to understand. Love is personified here with 16 action verbs. And I only have 29 minutes left, so you do the math on that. We won't be diving too deeply into each one of them. Seven are positive. Nine are negative. Paul will describe love here with 16 action verbs. Seven positive descriptions, nine negative. And this is the most excellent way. First point today, love defined positively. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. We'll spend a little bit of time here. It'll be a little academic. It's not my favorite methodology, but the point of most of this is to understand the descriptions of love. Love is patient. 
to forbear, to be long-suffering, to not retaliate. There's another passage where Paul speaks about love. It's Romans chapter 12. He says, let love be genuine. And then he begins to describe what that looks like. I've used these two passages together. Romans 12 says about being patient. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness. A lot of people hear kind and they think nice. To me, there's a difference. Nice is just a state of being, pleasant to be around. Kind, merciful, compassionate, beneficial. It overcomes evil with good. Romans 12 says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love is positively defined with these two words, patient and kind. Friends, one of the things I read this week reminded me of this. Uh, If we want to reach and influence people for Jesus Christ here on the east side of Indianapolis... We must cultivate a disposition of kindness. Acts of kindness impact people in big ways. Acts of kindness capture the attention of people. A card sent to someone who is sick. A concerned phone call, an invitation to dinner. A readiness to relieve a burden. A gentle touch, a thoughtful gesture. A simple expression of interest in another's concern. A visit. A card. The way of kindness and patience is the more excellent way. Love is not only described positively, but now in the next few verses, love is depicted negatively. Depictions 3 through 9 explain how a loving person does not behave. A person cannot do these actions and claim to be loving. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Break these down just a little bit. Love does not envy. Covetousness, which the Bible says is idolatry, wants what the other guy has. Envy is angry that the other guy has it. Now, friends, if We had time this morning, and I will do a little of this, 
if you were to trace these words through the letter of 1 Corinthians, you would see that Paul has selected specific topics and character qualities that he has been addressing and will address. They are envious. They are covetous. They are not patient. They are not kind. There is jealousy and strife among the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 3. But love instead rejoices with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. They are not patient. In fact, they were so impatient that the Apostle Paul told them about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11 and said, you go first and you run ahead and you leave some hungry and some are drunk. It would be better if you stayed home. Love does not boast. Which translates a word that means to heap praise upon oneself. To behave as a bragging person. C.S. Lewis understood the necessity for humility. For Christian living and the many dangers of sinful pride. He wrote about pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Those who live by the more excellent way don't suffer from an anti-God state of mind. Instead, they are like their Savior, Jesus, who described Himself as gentle and lowly in heart. But the Corinthians were boasters. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Jesus. They, they boasted in things other than the Gospel. Love is not arrogant. It translates a word that means to, to have an exaggerated self-concept. To think more of yourself than you ought. To puff up or to make proud. If you were to trace this word through 1 Corinthians, you would see in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another. A little bit later in the chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Paul wrote, But some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out the talk of those arrogant people. And in chapter 5, verse 2, dealing with sin in the church, Paul directly said to them, And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn this sin among you? Let him who has done this be removed from you. When we were at uh, our national basketball tournament, I held devotions with the boys in the mornings. And on one of the mornings, I reminded them of James chapter 4, verse 6, that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I asked them to put that in parlance if they could translate that verse into basketball language. And one of the young men put his hand up and said, that means God is on the other team. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want a surefire way to get God out of your life. 
live arrogantly, boastfully, puffed up. That is not loving. Love associates with the lowly. is not wise in its own sight. Romans 12 says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Next, love is not rude. Some translations say indecent. The King James says, love does not behave unseemly. It's a tough word to translate. It actually has less to do with our English idea of someone saying a rude thing and actually behaving inappropriately in public. Behaving unseemly. Behaving in a way that just basic society would condemn. Instead, it outdoes others in showing honor. That we would love one another with brotherly affection. Love does not insist on its own way. Oh boy, we're all in trouble. It looks to the interests of others. In chapter 10, verse 33, Paul said of himself, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Does not insist on its own way. Many times in our sermon prep classes on Thursday morning as we were going through the passages on Christian liberty in verses 8 through 10. Paul used the example, and we spoke about it as pastors, of his own compensation and how he did not, he, he was entitled to compensation for his work, but he didn't take it. Do you remember that? Boy, that's not insisting on your own way, isn't it? I have learned in my professional career before I came to work in ministry that one surefire way to get people to insist on their own way is to mess with their compensation at work. How about you? And Paul, that's emotionally charged. And Paul said, I do not insist on my own way. I do not demand my compensation for the sake of the gospel. I know that there are not very many things that would get me to give up my compensation. How about you? But the gospel might. I hope the gospel would. It takes the gospel to as much as possible to live at peace with all. Love is not irritable. Irritable, easily provoked. A minor or a perceived offense does not trigger an explosive temper. Love is not resentful. Many of you know this verse having been translated, it keeps no record of wrongs. In the Greek, literally, it says it does not count up the evil. Love doesn't strive to get even with other people. This is maybe the negative way of stating the first description in the list that love is patient. This reminds me, this language, of the language of the Old Testament from Isaiah, from Jeremiah where we learn that God does not remember our sins against us. And I often like to think about that verse and remind myself that God is omniscient, which means he has not forgotten anything, right? In fact, God's never learned anything. That's what omniscience means. But God chooses, although there is offense, not to hold it against us. The contrast to that is the story that's told of a biblical counselor meeting with the husband and wife. The husband complained. Every time we have a fight, she becomes historical. And the counselor interrupted and said, Sir, I'm sorry, I'm sure you mean hysterical. 
And he said, no, no, I mean historical. Everything I've ever done comes up when we have a fight. Love is not resentful. It does not count up the wrong. It's so like us to count up the wrong and the glory of God to cover an offense. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Boy, that's tough in our society. Evil is celebrated. What did the prophet Isaiah say? Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. We're living in that, friends. We must be careful not to rejoice at wrongdoing. I think for many of us, and we've talked about it recently in the idolatry sections of 1 Corinthians, the entertainment nature of our culture seduces us into rejoicing and laughing at things that are evil. Romans 12.9 says that love hates what is evil and that instead we should cling to what is good. That's love negatively depicted. And lastly, in the last verse, verse 7, love's actions are described. I, I would like to describe this uh, borrowing from the language of Alexander Strauch in a book that we've just read as a staff on these passages, that love is tenacious. You know what tenacious means? It just doesn't quit. It just keeps going. It's tenacious. These depictions explain how love relates to others in all circumstances. It never stops. Love always has the best interest of others in mind. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all things. It means to endure, to put up with. Love for the sake of the gospel can cause you to endure anything, even not getting paid for your work. Love believes all things. Paul doesn't mean that love is naively gullible, that it's simplistic in its approach to truth. Rather, love generously believes the best about others rather than being sinfully cynical. I remember being involved in a process with a young man who had fallen into sin and a group of people were trying to restore him. And in one of the first meetings, a wise older elder in the church asked the group, what are we going to do when he fails again? Are we going to believe the best? Are we going to endure? Are we going to bear? Love generously tries to believe the best about others rather than being sinfully cynical. Love hopes all things. Can you feel the weight of this? First, you're enduring. How long do you want to endure something, friends? I don't want to endure very long. Well, I believe it's going to get better. <laughs> Love can then give you perspective on that enduring. I believe. Been going on for a while, not getting better. Love hopes all things. It wants to flourish. And love endures all things. It never gives up. That's why I say love is tenacious. 
The author Alexander Strauch tells the story of a criminally minded young man who continually got in trouble with the police for drugs and stealing. He was arrested and jailed several times, eventually sent to prison for much of his remaining life. And after a short time in prison, as you might imagine, he was forgotten by his friends, most of his family. Outside the walls of the prison cell, he was a forgotten human being, except for one person. Every week, his mother would board a bus, travel several, several hours to visit him in prison. And then after a few hours of visitation, she would board the bus and go home. Nearly daily, she wrote letters, often sent books, personal items as allowed by the prison officials. Neither distance, prison walls, money, or time could stop her from loving and visiting her son. Some people think that loving people are weak and spineless. But this is the most excellent way. Nothing could be further from the truth. Unloving people are weak. They are the ones who are weak. They are controlled by their petty, self-centered cravings and by their self-orientation to life. Jesus was the most loving person who ever existed. And I would not describe him as weak. He gave his life to save others. Paul's continual pursuit of the Corinthians after all the heartache that they have caused him does not demonstrate weakness. It demonstrates great strength, endurance, faithfulness, hopefulness, and love. It is a beautiful passage. What do we do with it? How should we feel it this morning? Whose voice do we hear? Do we hear the voice of the guest speaker at the wedding who maybe has the voice of Morgan Freeman or Liam Neeson and gets up and reads it as a beautiful poem? Or do we hear the voice of God in context reminding us what love is and that we are not? Well, it's a personification So we can leverage that literary device the same way that Paul did. I remember the first time a friend of mine challenged me to do this. It's quite striking, and you may have done it yourself before. But please take out the word love in your mind and insert your word, your name. And see if it feels like an affirmation. or some of the strongest progressive sanctification you have ever felt. And remember, other people know you too. Trey is patient. Hmm. Not sure. Trey is kind. Sometimes my wife and kids would disagree. Trey does not envy or boast. Well, that's not true. Trey is not arrogant or rude. I'm working on it. Trey does not insist on his own way. (laughs) Come on now. Trey is not irritable. Don't catch me at the wrong time. Trey is not resentful. 
I still carry wounds around that occasionally pop up and remind me. Trey does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Trey rejoices with the truth. Trey bears all things. Trey believes all things. Trey hopes all things. Trey endures all things. Trey never fails. Put your name there in the place of the word love. That's a great way for you to feel the text too. But that would be crushing. And it's personified. So let's try it a little better way, shall we? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Could you imagine? It doesn't even enter your brain to consider him that way. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Praise the Lord. Not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bear all things. Believe all things. Hope all things. Endure all things. Jesus never fails. Oh, there's the comfort. There's the joy. You see, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 5 tells us hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and that God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. It is impossible for us as sinful humans to depict love perfectly. Particularly when Christians use their spiritual gifts when the church meets together. But the gospel requires God's people to mature. Mature in purity. Mature in love. Love for one another is the mark of Jesus' disciples. Jesus said by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Christians must learn to grow in love just as God unselfishly and sacrificially loves others. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was shown to us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We only love God because he first loved us. I invite the praise team back to the platform as we prepare for our last song. What a great passage, what a great thing to meditate on this morning. Very enjoyable, very convicting. 
I want to finish just quickly with a bit of envy for the Greek language. I know love's not supposed to envy, but I'm a little envious of their varieties of words for love. Maybe we have them too, like I'm fond of, I have an affection for, I like, I love. We, we have a continuum too. But I don't know about you, but I can say I love God. And it's easy then for me to say I love my wife. I love my family. I love my friends. But I just as easily say I love basketball and I love fried onions. And I love time alone. I, I, I can use this word love in all different fashions. God deliver us is my only thought for us. Not that, we, not that the language can't be used. I'm not here, I'm not here to change that. I know, I'm, I know better. But that there would be an awareness of the call of God on our lives for love, true love, How urgent? When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and spoke to Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and prophets. Friends, love sums up the first two great commandments. Understanding and embracing the concepts and definitions of love are crucial to us growing in our faith. Let's pray. Father, because of Christ, I bow my heart before you. You are the source of every family in heaven and earth. We get our name from you. Because of your riches and glory, I pray you would give us strength and power through your Spirit in our souls. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And that we would have the strength to know with all the saints your love. How deep and wide and high and long it is. That we would know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. Amazing love, how can it be? that you, my God, would die for me. And Father, because you are able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask, because of the power that you've put at work in us through your Spirit, we give you glory today in the church and in the world, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.